Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, Kansas gets the blowout victory over Tennessee Tech, and in week two of their college football season, is thrust into Big 12 play. West Virginia in Morgantown this weekend. We're going to talk about all of that with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports, CBSSports.com. I've talked to Kevin a lot over the years. I had him on as a weekly guest when I was hosting Rock Chalk Sports Talk in Lawrence, and uh, we've had a lot of Kansas football conversations. They're all great. Kevin's one of the best, so... Uh, looking forward to that. There was nothing that KU could have done against Tennessee Tech that would have made you reconsider your position on them this year unless they looked bad, which they didn't. But that hasn't always been the case against FCS schools for Kansas. Like, right, it's baby steps. I know these are foregone conclusions for 99% of the teams in the country, but you probably remember Nickel State losing a couple of years ago or North Dakota State, or South Dakota State, the first game of the Turner-Gill era. I was in a car from Notre Dame, and I thought my phone wasn't refreshing because it said 6-3 to three against South Dakota State. That wasn't the case. It was just a 6-3 to three loss. These games are not to be taken for granted for Kansas, at least when it comes to just winning. And it wasn't just a win against Tennessee Tech. It was, it was a win in dominating fashion. Every single guy in a Kansas uniform looked like they had a matchup advantage over every single guy in a Tennessee Tech uniform. That's all great, but there was nothing that could have come of that game other than negatives, right? Just do your job, move on. That's what Kansas did. And now you do have at least some level of optimism heading into West Virginia. Maybe if you don't even think they're going to win, I think Vegas has them as a 13-point underdog, last I checked, but that they can just hang in a game with a team that is projected to be the second worst team in the Big 12. If you think Kansas is going to win three games this year, the Vegas over-under was two and a half, then they have to win this game in Morgantown. Now, yes, you could beat Duke and then steal one somewhere else. It never makes sense on paper, but then it happens and you go, okay, well, 
I guess that's the way it works. So you could probably come up with a formula how they could lose this game, but in terms of momentum, feeling like this season is a step in the right direction for the program as a whole, this feels like one you have to get. And I know West Virginia didn't look great against Pitt in the season opening game, the backyard brawl last Thursday, but that was also the season opening game. They hadn't played anybody. They hadn't hit anybody all summer. And then your first game of the season is not just the rekindling of a, an old rivalry that you haven't played in 11 years, but it was a power five opponent. It was a top 20 team in the country. So I'm not sure if that necessarily is a good thing or a bad thing. I just think that in terms of level of competition, the team that West Virginia played in week one was uh, vastly superior to the level of competition that KU was going against. A few individual takeaways for Kansas. Jalen Daniels was incredible. That throw that he had to Skinner, where he's sort of fallen backwards and just flicks it up, puts it right and hits him in stride, touchdown. That was an impressive throw, regardless of who you made it against. That would have been impressive even if Skinner had nobody on him. That's the arm talent that has, I think, the Kansas coaching staff excited. That's what had them excited two years ago, right? When he was a, a freshman, that this kid maybe possesses some things that the other guys in the roster don't, but not just that. The guys at that position over the past 12 years haven't had. The guy is a gamer, and I'm excited to see if he can sort of take that next leap. He didn't have to do anything in that game. Jalen could have been abysmal, and Kansas would have won the game running away because they ran for almost 300 yards. Devin Neal touched the ball four times at 100 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, the long touchdown run he had in the second half, I don't think a guy laid a, a single finger on him. So he's going to get more reps, I would imagine, starting this weekend against West Virginia. I don't really know what to make of the running back room. Kai Thomas wasn't great. And going back and watching some of his touches, it seemed like he just didn't have the same running lanes that Neil had, that Daniel Highshaw had. At first um, first watch, I thought, okay, maybe he doesn't run north-south the same way that, that other guys in that room do, but I just think it was bad luck, and I'd imagine he's still going to firmly be in the mix. Daniel Highshaw probably had the most impressive run of the night where you know, bounces off one defender, jukes past a second, spins past a third, and then finally gets brought down. I don't even know how many he went for. It was a first down run, but all of the hype that was sort of coming out about high shot out of camp certainly seems justified. And defensively, honestly, I was more impressed with the defense than I was the offense because the offense, I thought they had some talent. I was kind of bullish on Jalen Daniels and that running back room. The defense was the the part, the, the aspect of the team that I wasn't sure if they were going to be able to hold up because they were just really bad up front last year. You bring in Lonnie Phelps, Miami of Ohio, you wonder what the transition is going to be like to Power 5. Again, wasn't Power 5 competition. You got to say that like every 30 seconds when talking about a, a game against Tennessee Tech, but the dude was an absolute beast. He was beating everybody who he went up against. I don't think he's going to have three sacks in every game he plays, but that guy is is a level of talent at the edge rusher spot that KU hasn't had since Dorrance Armstrong. He's not the same player as Dorrance. Dorrance is, you know, a little more slender. He was, you know, taller, maybe a little more wiry in build. And Lonnie Phelps is just built like a brick shithouse. And it's fun to watch him. I don't know what it's going to look like. We'll get a good taste of it on, uh, on Saturday in Morgantown. But this is a guy who has at least the potential to be sort of a one-man wrecking crew and you pass the first test. That's what you say about everybody. You could, 
all you could do was fail it. You couldn't really exceed expectations. All you could do was meet them and move on to the next one. And that's what you say basically across the board. This, to me, though, feels like a game where Jalen's going to have to go get you the win. Your underdogs in a team that, even if you think the offensive line for Kansas, the defensive line, performed better than you were expecting them to, now you go up against legit Power 5 conference players, and specifically on the defensive line, like you got a bunch of juniors and seniors for West Virginia. I don't think KU's going to be able to just run the ball over all over them, even though that's going to be a big part of their game plan. This will have to be a game where Jalen goes and makes you some plays and makes a couple throws that, that you have to have to win the game. Like, if he can do that, then that's how you compete, not just against West Virginia, but that's how you're going to compete against some of the other uh, middle-tier teams in the Big 12, whether it be you know, Texas Tech or TCU. Your quarterback is going to have to go and win you some games. And he's not going to do it every single week. Like, I don't think this is a bowl team, but you just want to see that he is capable of doing it from time to time because that's what separates him from basically every other guy that Kansas has had at that position over the last 10 to 12 years. All right, Kevin Flaherty, you can check out his work at 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports. Kevin, a pleasure as always. Haven't talked to you yet this year. How you doing, man? Uh, doing well, Nick. How are you doing? I'm doing good, and... I don't think this is the last time that we'll get to talk about a Kansas win this year, but it will certainly be the most resounding win that Kansas is going to have all season. Tennessee Tech, an absolute thumping, and that's what you're supposed to do. But the flip side is Kansas has supposed to do this in the past and didn't exactly get the job done against FCS teams that you pay to come into your stadium and play you week one. So that was a nice surprise. I'm curious before we get into the specifics of that game, what it meant moving forward, going to West Virginia. Was there a player or a unit that you were excited to watch in that week one game above the rest? And if so, how did they measure up to your expectations or did they answer the questions that you had laid out for them? Sure. I think the defensive line was, and I'm not just saying that because, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, you know, Lonnie Phelps winning big 12 defensive player of the week, I think with them switching from, from more of a read and react sort of two gap scheme to a one gap, get off the ball, you know, get through the gap. I was really interested to see what that would look like with these guys, right? Because you had, certain guys who were recruited to come to the University of Kansas to, I guess you would call it hold ground, right? They were expected to basically, hey, hold up your blocker, let somebody else make the play, you know, read and react. And all of a sudden those guys kind of get turned loose a little bit. I also wanted to see how Lonnie Phelps was used. You know, when he was at Miami, Ohio, he was this incredibly effective, what you would call a two-man game rush. And what I mean by that is last year we saw Kyron Johnson, you know, just sort of get the edge on guys because he was, you know, such a, a freak at it. But Lonnie Phelps, they really moved around and did a lot of different things, whether it was slanting, you know, bending him and twisting him in different ways on, on passing situations. And he was really good at that. And so I think I wanted to see, you know, does, does Borland kind of turn him loose in those ways 
a little bit more than what they did with the defensive line. I, I thought they did. You know, obviously, Phelps looked really good. Caleb Sampson was a guy that I thought heading in, maybe with the scheme changes, this guy could be sort of a surprise all-Big 12 guy if everything goes right. He looked really good. And then, Nick, with the, the way that they were able to – to get things out of reach so quickly. I mean, you had some of the freshman defensive tackles playing in the first quarter. And I thought that, that that was something to to watch as well. And, and something that's good for, for moving on down the line. So there's always caveats when the, the opponent is Tennessee tech, who is an FCS team and not just an FCS team, but a bad FCS team, sure. but, but going into the year, like we sort of knew offensively, there was some talent specifically at the running back spot my bigger questions were with the defensive side of the ball. They were, it was a bad front seven last year. They didn't get after the quarterback. They didn't bring the quarterback down. They weren't great against the run. And so that to me, I, I, I agree with you. That was, that was more positive than anything I saw from the offense, despite how well they moved the ball last Friday, because I was more uncertain about the defensive front. So how do you sort of put that into context with, okay, you passed the first test, but also, it was just a, a snippet of the type of competition you're going to be going up against moving forward in the Big 12. Yeah, I actually made that point before the game even started to a friend of mine who he looked at the at the betting line. I, I think at the time it was maybe KU by 28. And he said, man, you know, 28 points is a lot for Kansas. And he said, if Kansas wins by anything more than that, you know, this could be a, a really big year for KU and, and I've pointed to the Rhode Island game, right? Where we, the most recent example that we sort of have of a not maybe so great Kansas team, just absolutely putting it on what you would consider to be a bad FCS team. And, and they went on and they won one more game, I think the entire rest of that season. And so it is something that you have to factor in. And I feel like so many takes this week, probably for you, for me, for anybody talking about this game, starts off with, well, it's Tennessee Tech, but, you know, sort of deal where you almost have to kind of hedge it a little bit. At the same time, you know, South Dakota was a good FCS team last year, you know, made made the playoffs, and yet it was a totally different feel coming out of this game than it was that game. Because last year, if we're being honest, Kansas got pushed around up front on, on both sides of the ball by South Dakota. And and I don't think a lot of people came out of that game. Obviously, you felt good because of the way Kansas sort of won the game and, and closed it out. But I don't know that any one of us, and, and I don't want to speak for you, Nick, but I don't know that any of us came out of that game feeling like, man, Kansas really did what it's supposed to do look the way a Big 12 team is supposed to look against No, this because opponent. they looked like two teams where maybe one had better talent, but it didn't look like one team that was playing in Power 5 football and another team that was playing in the FCS. Sure, absolutely. And, and you look at the growth that Kansas made from that point, and you look at the the offensive line in particular, you know, half a season later, they're arguably winning up front against Oklahoma. You know, and so you saw the gains that you made. And so I think for me, even knowing Tennessee Tech was Tennessee Tech, I think the thing that I was looking for is, okay, but will Kansas make Tennessee Tech look like Tennessee Tech? Will this look like a Big 12 team playing Tennessee Tech? And I think one of the, the interesting takeaways, too, is 
the fact that Kansas, what, gets the three and out to start, goes down and scores a touchdown, gets the three and out, goes and scores a touchdown. And from that point on, you know, Leipold and the staff were really rolling through a lot of backups. You were seeing third string guys in the first quarter and, and they were rotating those guys through. And so it, it sounds weird to say about a game you won by 46 points, but if Kansas were, were in a situation where they said, Hey, this margin of victory has to be, you know, as high as it can be, or, or this opponent is as good as, as can be. I think you'd see Devin Neal get more than four carries. I don't think that they would have rotated through to the extent that they did. And, and all of those things are positive, but like you said, they do come with sort of the, but Tennessee tech modifier. Yeah. So maybe that's a, makes this an impossible question to answer, but Based off the rotation you saw, I mean, we saw everybody get touches in the backfield. We saw a lot of the tight ends rotating through. We saw same thing with the receivers. Jason Bean got run. Did you see anything on Friday that indicated to you that that you don't push aside and say, okay, that was just Tennessee Tech? Is there, Was there anything that indicated to you, okay, this is really what KU is going to want to do offensively this year? Yeah, I thought... It's one play, right? And so you you're a little hesitant about it, but that throw by Jalen Daniels to Quentin Skinner was I don't know that people realize how outrageous that was because he's rolling to his left as a right-handed quarterback. He just kind of resets really quickly. I mean, didn't really even have time to set his feet before he threw it, and he pushed the ball 55 yards downfield and hit a moving receiver. And when you look at throws like that. I, I've said before, if you were to take, say, the top 10 throws by any Kansas quarterback over the last decade, Jalen Daniels may have seven of them. And, and I know that sounds crazy to talk about, but at the same time, I, I think that that was sort of the one play that really stood out and that that's a play that, that translates. I'm not saying Quentin Skinner is going to be, you know, five or 10 yards open against big 12 competition. What I am saying is the fact that people have to play Jalen Daniels for the ability to make that throw. And I think because of that, it's not even that he's going to throw for 350 yards a game. It's not, you know, that he's going to start 14 for 15 with a, with basically a drop like he did against Tennessee Tech. But I think that's the throw that you look at, that if you're a West Virginia coach, for instance, on film this week, that's one that's going to kind of stick out and you say, okay, we we can't put eight guys in the box to stop Kansas's wide zone or, or the different running plays that Kansas wants to run because this quarterback is capable of hitting on this throw. By the way, that list that you mentioned, that hypothetical list, the top 10 throws of Kansas quarterbacks in the past decade, this is a sad list, and I feel bad for the guy who's got to scrub the tape to uh, to put that together. But you're right, because Jalen, all offseason, was the presumed starter, the, the QB1, even though he wasn't the starter to begin last season. But sort of leading up to the start of the year, it maybe felt like there wasn't as big of a gap between he and Jason Bean. Now, maybe, like, I've talked to multiple people who have kind of made the the comparison to Todd Reesing, not that they're the same quarterback or that he's on that level, but just that they weren't good practice quarterbacks. They weren't guys who really shine in practice. Then you get them out in the game situations, and that's where you see them at their best. 
do you do you think there is a a, a sizable leash there for Jalen Daniels? Did you see enough on Friday to think that there is pretty clear separation between he and Jason Bean this year? Yeah, and I would say even more than Todd Reesing, Bill Whittemore was that guy. Yeah. You know, Bill Whittemore, people forget, he lost a quarterback competition to Zach Dyer, and, and nothing against Zach Dyer, but I think we can say from watching on Saturdays, Bill Whittemore was a considerably better quarterback than, than Zach Dyer. Uh, it didn't always show up in practice. And I do think that Jalen has that kind of leash. And I think that it was earned not just, you know, with the way last year ended, but I think that some of the things off the field too, you know, because it, it was interesting given that Jason Bean started for most of last year and the success that Bean had at times that you go into this off season with Jalen being sort of the presumed guy and not just that Nick, but I mean, you see the same KU content I do. They made him a face of the program, right? Like when they're announcing the schedule, they have Jalen out there announcing it with Kenny Logan and, and stuff like that. And that's not something you do with a guy who's in a quarterback competition typically. And that's not a knock on Jason Bean. I think Bean has talents and, and skills that may get used at certain times this year, whether that's a package here or there with, with three or five plays. I, I do think that at some point this year, Kansas is going to find a way to, to put the ball in Jason Bean's hands. But at the same time, I, I do think that Jalen kind of entered the offseason with, with a pretty decent leash. And I'm not sure that even with there maybe not being that big of a gap at practice, I'm not sure he seeded really anything on that leash. And so I do think that, you know, he can go into a game and if he's really struggling, you know, he's not going to get the quick pull or the quick hook that we've seen with previous Kansas quarterbacks. The offensive line was another area of concern last year. Um, they were pretty good in pass protection. I don't know how much of that you attribute to just having mobile quarterbacks who can evade pressure versus them just doing better at, at protecting the pocket versus run blocking where they really struggled up front. And they return everybody on the offensive line. And I wasn't really sure what to think of that coming into this year because... Right, it's the double-edged sword. Okay, you've got experience, but it's experience that won you two games a year ago. Uh, what do you think of the way the offensive line performed to the tune of what two hundred ninety-seven rushing yards? Well, I can tell you, you know, Kai Thomas might have a different answer to this question than Devin Neal does. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if uh, if Kai, you know, kicked somebody in the shins before the game or or what the deal. Seriously, was. what was that? Because he was the only person who couldn't find a seam. And the seams were not there either. You know, it was it was funny because you're watching it and you're like, oh man, you know, Devin breaks a 19 yard touchdown. Devin breaks and you know an 80 yard touchdown. Oh, Savion's looking good, man. Highshaw really got a gap there, and then they sub in Kai Thomas, and all of a sudden it's like when somebody picks the correct play in uh, Tecmo Super Bowl, where the other <laughs> team just kind of hops all over somebody and it was it was just kind of a, a funny deal on that but no I thought for the most part they did pretty well I think that's the one group you were talking about you know sort of the caveat of Tennessee Tech right and I thought that was the one group where maybe you would go back on film and you would say yes this wound up being a 10-yard game 
But if you miss a block like this against a Big 12 team, you're going to get somebody killed. And it didn't wind up hurting against Tennessee Tech because Kansas, you know, kind of outclassed them. But maybe your pads weren't in the right spot. Maybe you didn't get the right angle or, or whatever else. And so a play that was otherwise successful just because Kansas was better than Tennessee Tech, I think that that may be the group that has the most to clean up from week one to week two and going against a pretty good defensive line in West Virginia. Yeah, so that's kind of where it, it leads us to, which is West Virginia has an experienced front seven, say what you will, about how you think they looked in uh, the backyard brawl last week, but that was a game where they went toe-to-toe with uh, you know a top-20 team in the country, and it was a rivalry game in the first game of the season when you haven't hit anybody. Right? It's, it's a... It's not even in the same conversation as the the type of opponent that Kansas played. So, did anything from last Friday change how you feel Kansas could fare against West Virginia this weekend? You know, I really think that, and it sounds so trite, but you put it perfectly earlier where you said, Kansas did what it was supposed to do, right? Like, it sounds like it's a negative. Like, oh, man, you know, Kansas just won by 46 points, and you're saying, ho-hum, they they did their job. But Kansas hasn't typically done its job in, in those situations. And I think that was kind of the, the takeaway. And, you know, I heard multiple people make reference to competent football, you know, after the game. And I think that was kind of what I wanted to see out of that game if you're saying, hey – what do you need to see in order to say Kansas is going to play with and or beat West Virginia in Morgantown? I think they showed it. Uh, this is a game that's this is a trap game for West Virginia for any of about 35 different reasons. But at the same time, you still have to be a live opponent in order for the trap to work. And I think that that was sort of the one takeaway from Friday where you come out of it and you say, you know, did anything make you feel better? And, and I think that was that was probably what it was, was just it was an overall competence on, on both sides of the ball. Uh, I thought both lines were pretty good. Defensively, the speed was was way up over what it has been. Um, guys were, were in the right spots. And, and you talked a little bit about the backyard brawl. You know, there's going to be a lot of talk this week probably about C.J. Donaldson, the West Virginia – really big back. And if you go back and look at the runs that he was able to break, you know, nothing against Donaldson, but a lot of them were really sort of sloppy fills by Pitt. you know, week one types of things where you come back on the tape and you say, this guy just did not fill this gap or, or this hole the way that he was supposed to. And I think that was the encouraging thing for Kansas was there were relatively few of those moments. You know, for the most part, when a guy got a handoff, people were where they were supposed to be. Somebody told me once that it was actually, I think, Manny Diaz when he was defensive coordinator at Texas, that stopping the run is basically like filling in bricks on a wall. And everybody kind of needs to fill in their their brick or, or whatever at the same time in order to stop that run. And for the most part, Kansas was there. And so that that was just the overall level of competence. I know that's not one thing or, or one factor, but it feels like a pretty big factor on, uh, on why you would maybe feel optimistic about Kansas going into this weekend. You know, over the past 12, 13 seasons, whatever it's been since Mangino left, 
and we've all had a million conversations about where Kansas is at, why they're there, and it was never one thing, right? It's It was a talent discrepancy at times. It was uh, ineptitude, coaching-wise, structurally. And the more that I see from Lance Leipold and this staff, the more it makes me go back and question, like, just how bad was the talent discrepancy versus, like, the structure? Because I, they, 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 there's no question, like, Charlie Weiss dug him into a hole, and David Beatty didn't do much to get him out of it. Les Miles finally started recruiting high school guys. But all of those coaches on Saturdays made head-scratching decisions. All of those coaches throughout the week made head-scratching decisions. It was an aptitude after an aptitude, and they kept digging the hole deeper. It's almost, and I get it, again, we're going to keep saying this a million times, Tennessee Tech. It was Tennessee Tech. It was a bad FCS school. But the more I see from this coaching staff, I'm just like, they're not making it look that hard. I get it. That, I mean, KU's not going bowling this season. This may still be a two- or three-win football team, but they're not shooting themselves in the foot. They're not making dumb penalties. They look like they know what they're doing out there, and it just makes me go back and wonder, like, how did so many people get it so wrong for so many years? Yeah, it's it's tough to win them at Kansas under the best of circumstances, and I think if we're being honest, we would say that things were not the best of circumstances. And a lot of it was self-inflicted. You know, you talked about the scholarship hole that, that David Beatty was kind of left in uh, by Charlie Weiss going the Juco route. And also, you know, it, it should be noted in defense of Charlie Weiss, and, and you won't usually hear me say those words, but a lot of the guys from Turner Gill were, were getting in trouble. And so a lot of that discrepancy and hole in the roster was, Hey, we're booting this guy because he's a disciplinary issue. Hey, we're booting this guy because he's an academic issue and he's not taking care of things in the classroom. And that sort of built the hole that they then tried to fill with the junior college players that then sort of started this whole cycle. But at the same time, you know, like you're saying, you can have all of those issues and yet, you can still be, and, you know, I'm not trying to pick on him, but you can still be David Beatty punting the ball on fourth and two and saying in the post game that it was fourth and five, and that's why you punted. And I think that when you talk to members of the Mangino staff, and, and I still talk to a few of them, um, one of the things that that they seem to, to note about Lance Leipold is, is that those guys are doing things they feel like, in a similar manner. You know, it's not that they're perfect. It's not that they make every right decision in recruiting. It's not that, you know, they never make bad calls. I'm sure, Nick, you were probably, you know, throwing your hands up in the air at the the fourth down fade call, you know, on the goal Mm. line, you know, like everybody else. But the development is there. You know, the the getting better incrementally day by day that a lot of coaches – talk about but don't necessarily do and you know on game days they they look like a well-coached team i mean the penalties you know that you used to see that i'm thinking about the rutgers game um up in piscataway and i i'm pretty sure you're going to remember this remember the goal line play where the Rutgers guy was lined up like in the ku backfield Mm -hmm. basically he was so far off sides except that KU didn't get that call because 
is KU's own wide receiver was like a foot, you know, past the line of scrimmage <laughs> when they snapped the ball. And like little things like that 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 wind up becoming almost like meme worthy. None of that's happening now. And, and I think that when you do look back on the last decade plus and let's let's not uh let's not sugarcoat this. It's the worst decade of Kansas football history. When you look back at that and then you look at the way things are now, you do wonder at some points, like, hey, how much how much better could this have been, you know, just by sound decision-making, even with the scholarship issues, even with the talent discrepancies or different things like that. And, and I do think that part of the reason a lot of people are excited is – you're seeing that stuff. And so maybe even if you believe heading into this big 12 season that, Hey, maybe Kansas isn't as talented as most, if not all of the big 12, but you feel like you get, you have a coaching staff that maybe gives you a chance to to make up for that on a weekend by weekend basis. So we didn't talk about this before the season, but did you make an official prediction on how many wins you thought Kansas would get this year? Yeah, I thought, I thought three and nine, two, four, and eight. And, and I'll be very specific with this because it had to do with the West Virginia game. I thought if they beat West Virginia, then they're going to go four and eight. They'll exit September three and one, and they're going to get another big 12 win somewhere. They won't get shut out after starting three and one, not with that level of momentum. And I felt like, hey, even if they lose to West Virginia, they're probably going to get a big 12 game somewhere. And so that was sort of the hedge was based on this week's game. And, and you know, I, I told you this game is, has felt like a trap game for a really long time for West Virginia. You know, I, I still feel that way. And so it, it's kind of interesting because I, I feel like Kansas has had maybe a chance in camp to work on West Virginia a little bit with Tennessee tech being that opener West Virginia, you wouldn't think would really prepare for Kansas with Pitt, you know, starting off and, and being a rivalry game and, and this being the very next week. And, and the fact that, you know, as harsh as this sounds, it, it's Kansas, right? Like Kansas doesn't generally get the other team's best shot. And, and so when you, when you factor all of those things in and the fact that, Hey, last year's game was, was really close. And if we're being honest, Kansas might've done more this off season, returning more starters, bringing in a better transfer class than West Virginia. This feels like a game that that's very winnable for the Jayhawks. That's why I think it was really, it was, I mean, it's cool under any circumstances, but it was good to see Jalen Daniels make a couple other throws that he did because he could have been terrible in that game and Kansas would have won sure. running away. He did make a couple of plays. And I think that this year, if, if you're right, if Kansas is going to win, and I had him at three wins, but if they win, if they're going to win a conference game or two, Jalen Daniels is going to have to win them some games. Like there's going to have to be a game where he makes some big plays in big situations and that's never been a foregone conclusion at Kansas. Is this one of those games? Is this one of those games where you think he has to be great if Kansas is going to win? Yeah, I think so. I, I think when you look at it, you know, the reason last year's game was close, to be quite frank with you, was was Jalen Daniels played pretty well. And Kansas had pretty much no running backs. You know, Kansas was pretty much pulling running backs from Lawrence High at that point. 
with all the injuries that that they had and were finishing out the season and and that was the thing when you have a good quarterback and you you and I have talked about this over the years we've said Kansas can win games if it's quarterback just isn't 10th place with a bullet right like where everybody doesn't go in to the season saying you know what Kansas has the worst quarterback again in the Big 12 and if your quarterback is eighth best in the Big 12, if it's ninth best in the Big 12, that gives you a chance to to maybe hang around and, and play in some games. I think what makes Jalen so interesting is that he makes a lot of the flash plays that that show up on on Sports Center, right? You know, I feel like when you look at all Big 12 teams, and in particular with Kansas, sometimes Kansas guys get a little bit of a pity vote, right? Like they'll say, this linebacker has 100 tackles, but somebody's got to tackle somebody for Kansas. I, I feel like, you know, Joe Deneen was maybe a little bit underrated from a national standpoint. Ben Heaney maybe underrated from a national standpoint. James Sims is a running back. I feel like people looked at him and said, okay, like that kid's good. He's running for a thousand yards, but he couldn't start for Oklahoma. He's a good running back for Kansas, right? And I think that the thing that's interesting with Jalen Daniels is Daniels makes more than the quote unquote, just for Kansas plays. It's not an air raid quarterback, you know, throwing for 300 yards at seven yards of slant. It's somebody that you could be on the opposite hash and he can make that deep out and he can make the throws that, that make a defense have to game plan for his ability to make those throws. And so if Kansas has the kind of season and I'm not saying going bowling or anything like that, but if Kansas winds up, you know, at four wins, maybe even five wins and Jalen Daniels is a big reason why I'm not entirely sure that voters across the big 12 who, who get to see him on a more regular basis won't say, you know, this isn't, your typical Kansas, you know, all big 12 prospect because they had to put an all big 12 guy, you know, around the all big 12 team. I I think that people might look at it as, okay, Kansas legitimately has an upper tier type quarterback or at least a player capable of playing at that level in Jalen Daniels. Is Lonnie Phelps one of those guys who could get more than a pity vote? Do you think he could be a legitimate all big 12 type? Yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, that is one where I do think you have to have the the Tennessee Tech caveat, right? Because I think Lonnie Phelps is going to be really good. There was a stretch there for about, what, a half a quarter, maybe even longer, where Lonnie Phelps was beating his guy like a drum on every single play. I feel bad for that right tackle for Tennessee Tech. He He had a rough go. He will see Lonnie Phelps in his nightmares. (laughs) And I think that when you look at, at Lonnie Phelps against, you know, a legitimate Big 12 offensive line, it's not that he's not going to win, but he's not going to win at that rate. And so that's another thing for this week that I'm very interested in seeing is what rate does he win at? I do think he has 
you know, sort of that all big 12 potential. And I thought that he showed some really nice things uh, against Tennessee tech in terms of both being able to bend the edge and then sort of convert speed to power when guys tried to overplay him to do that. And so I, I do think that, that he has a chance to potentially be one of those all big 12 type guys, you know, maybe kind of in the mold of, and I, I'm not saying they're, they're stylistically the same or anything, but maybe kind of similar to Dorrance Armstrong where people legitimately look at him and say, okay, like this is not your typical Kansas defensive end. This guy can really play. Yeah. I was talking to, I can't remember. It may have been Derek uh, that I was talking with about Dorrance where Dorrance was sort of had that long slender frame. Yeah. And and you look at Lonnie Phelps and you're just like, that is a big, like I haven't seen a guy quite built like that at that position for Kansas. Like I'm struggling to think of He belongs on the program, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not saying he's doing steroids or anything, but he looks like (laughs) what he's got movie star muscles, I guess you would call it. If you did steroids, you would hope to get an outcome like Lonnie Phelps. (laughs) Yeah, my problem is, you know, I would do steroids and I would look like a cornerback. But <laughs> but no, it, it's it he does look different and his game is different as well and I I almost wonder a little bit and I know I'm he's not built the same way, but I wonder if he might be able to have a similar type of impact uh to a Mangino guy named Jermile Ashley actually. And the biggest, maybe the biggest compliment you can give Jermile actually is he came in, I think the, the Oh four opener, was it against Tulsa that they won and had like 8 billion sacks and, and Ashley was just terrific. And, you know, he was kind of a focal point after that. And in 2004, the defensive end opposite him got first team all big 12. And then in 2005, the defensive end, opposite him a different guy you know david mcmillan the first time charlton keith the second time got first team all big 12 i don't know that ku has that guy on on the other end who's going to do that i do like jeremy robinson you know as he continues to develop but at the same time i think lonnie phelps is similar in that he could be a guy that because of that early impact, because of what he does, he's kind of a focal point and he gives other guys on the defensive line a chance to make plays because of that. Kevin, you did great work, man. It's always good to talk to you. Let's uh, let's do it again later this season. I appreciate the time. All right. Thanks a lot, Nick. Big thanks to Kevin for coming on. If you haven't already and you're listening this far, please subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you again next week. It's Waving the Wheat. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. 
Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever. Or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.